There's a teacher standing in the marketplace. A husband has proof of his wife's adultery. And a self-righteous mob carries her to the marketplace to stone her to death because of her sin. Teacher walks forward. He stands beside the woman. The mob stops. They've got the heavy stones in their hands. Is there any man here, says the teacher, who has not desired another man's wife? And they say, well, we've all known the desire, but we haven't acted on it. And the teacher says, well, then drop your stones and kneel to the ground and thank God that you've never acted on the thought. He takes the woman by the hand and he leads her away. And then before he lets her go, he whispers in her ear, go, go to the governor and tell, the, tell him that I saved you, his mistress, and that I sent you back to him. And he'll know that I'm your loyal servant and he'll give me a favor. That, that's a teacher that condoned the sin and the sinner. Another, another teacher, another city. This teacher stops the mob just like the first one. And he says, which of you is without sin? Let him cast the first stone. And the people start remembering their own individual sins. Someday they think, I'm going to be like this woman. And I'm going to hope for forgiveness. I'm going to hope for another chance. And I, I should treat her as I wish to be treated. And so they open their hands. They let the stones fall to the ground. And the teacher picks up one of the stones. And he holds it high over the woman's head. And he crushes her skull. And he says, well, I'm not without sin either. But if we allow only perfect people to enforce the law, then holiness will be no more and our city will suffer. So this is a teacher who condemns the sin and the sinner. Condone or condemn? I just want to ask you, which teacher are you most like? Because I think most of us tend to bounce from one extreme to the other. I mean, it kind of depends on the issue. It kind of depends on the context. We condone things a lot. Now, you know what? It's not that bad. Now, everybody's doing it. It doesn't really hurt anybody. And so we condone actions and attitudes that are clearly contrary to God's work. And then sometimes we condemn I can't believe you did that. I'm going to make you pay. I would never do anything like that. And so we criticize, we blame when people violate some kind of a standard. Condone, condemn. And you say, well, what's in the middle? That's just apathy. It's like, I don't care. But there's a third way. It's not between condoning and condemning. It's above. It's the Jesus way. It's the higher way. It's a, it's a way that actually brings things into the light without condoning them and without condemning. And you know what? That is really good news because we can receive that kind of light. We can reflect that kind of light. So open your Bibles today to John chapter 8. John 8. 
Now, in this series, we're looking at the I am statements of Jesus. Later in John chapter 8, Jesus uh, says this incredible thing before Abraham was, and Abraham was a guy who lived centuries and centuries before Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. And he's basically saying, I am the God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. So before Abraham lived, I am the God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And uh, the Bible tells us that the Jewish religious leaders who were afraid of blasphemy, who guarded the integrity of God, recognized that he was making himself out to be equal with God and they picked up stones to stone him to death because of his blasphemy. You can't just put Jesus, as Pastor Chad taught us last week, in the great teacher category. Because he made statements like, I am the God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. I mean, he's either a liar, or he's crazy, or he is who he says he is. And what does he say he is? Well, last week we learned he says, I am the bread of life. And I love what Pastor Chad said. Jesus didn't just come to give us bread, he came to be the bread. And today we're focused on, I am the light of the world. He didn't come to just give us light, he came to be the light. Now what kind of a light is he? Well, he's not the kind of light that condemns, he's not the kind of light that condones. There's a third way, there's a better way, there's a higher way. Let's read what he says, what it says. Verse 1, John 8, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, stop right there, who are the scribes? The scribes are the people that knew all the nuances of the Jewish Old Testament law. Who are the Pharisees? Well, they followed all the religious rules of the day. These are religious leaders who had kind of become peeping toms. They hired a private investigator to find a woman that's committing adultery. The law says it takes two or three witnesses or more to condemn someone, so they had to have two or three by the door to catch her in the act. How long did they watch? What did they see? When they seen enough, these moral watchdogs kind of stormed the house. They let the guy go. They grabbed the girl, and they drag her from her rendezvous to bring her to Jesus. And so she stands there kind of disheveled as Jesus is teaching. It's not the woman they want. It's Jesus they want. Look at verse 4. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. It's not a he said, she said thing. We've caught her in the act. Verse 5, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? See, the Bible says in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, that, that adulterers are to be stoned. Now that particular law hadn't been followed for centuries. Uh, these guys weren't that concerned about the law. I mean, think about it. If they had been concerned about the law, they would have brought the man as well as the woman. Verse 6, this they said to test him, to test Jesus, that they might bring some charge against him. So they're trying to put Jesus in a no-win situation. Hey, we've seen how Jesus shows compassion to sinful people over and over, and that's what makes him popular with people. But if he shows compassion to her, then he's going to break Old Testament law. Let's create a scenario that puts a tension between Jesus and his loyalty to the law and Jesus and his love for sinners. 
So they want to trap Jesus into saying something or doing something they can use against him. Because if he says, forget the law and forget the woman, then he's not following the Bible anymore. So Jesus is the intended victim here, not the woman. Verse 6, again, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, wouldn't you like to know what he wrote? I was talking with somebody after the service today. I said, that's my number one question. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Jesus, what did you write? Because we don't know what he wrote. It's going to be a mystery till we get to heaven. Who knows? Maybe he wrote the name of the Pharisee's girlfriend. <laughs> Church tradition tells us that he wrote the names of the accusers and their sins on the ground. I mean, can't you imagine? Their necks are twisting and turning to try to see what he's writing. But they keep on badgering him. They want an answer. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? Verse 7, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. He's finished writing in the dust. The eyes are fixed on him. Okay, sinless one. <laughs> Go first. Throw the stone. If you've never sinned, you can throw the first rock. And then once more, Jesus bends down and writes on the ground. He's kind of outsmarted these guys. He's giving them time to process. They're thinking, if I throw a stone, I'm saying I have no sin. I can't throw a stone. And then you can almost hear the stones begin to drop to the ground. One by one. And the oldest, maybe because they're the wisest, they leave first. And finally, it's Jesus and the woman. You got the lawgiver and the lawbreaker are there together, one on one. Now, what's Jesus going to say? I mean, here comes a lecture, here comes a sermon. But the only person who's qualified to condemn her doesn't. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. And what comes next are words of life and light. They're words of grace and truth. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. So go, and from now on, Sin no more. <laughs> she hears two things. Jesus doesn't condemn, and Jesus doesn't condone. He doesn't say, oh, it's no big deal. A lot of people commit adultery. No problem. No, he says, sin no more. Don't commit adultery again. It's degrading. It's enslaving. You're hurting the heart of God. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting other people. It's a trap. It doesn't lead to life. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't condone. He restores. He loves. He confronts in a way that shows that he cares. I think it's important for us to know that this story actually takes place during a religious festival. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It happened in Jerusalem at the temple. And you can see here a kind of an artist drawing of the temple in Jerusalem. And what you see in the yellow oval there in the middle in that courtyard is the court of women. 
And that's exactly where the party for God took place during this festival. On the first day of the feast, after the sun goes down, there was a ceremony called the illumination of the temple. And in the court, four great lights were lit. And the arrows there uh, in that previous slide were pointing to where historians say the great candles filled with oil were placed. These candles, they say... 70 feet tall, illuminated every courtyard and surrounding areas of the city in Jerusalem during this festival. There was a kind of grandstand for worshipers all night long. There was worship, there's music, there's dancing, there's instruments without number. The festival of lights, the illumination of the temple. Why the candelabra? Well, in the Old Testament, God had led His people through the wilderness at night with a pillar of fire. And eventually God led them to the promised land. That pillar of fire was a symbol of God's leadership and a symbol of God's presence. So at this religious festival, this light in the courtyard, a symbol of God's presence, a symbol of God's leadership. Now, this is what's happening the night before this story takes place. Now, if you're looking at your footnotes in your Bible, your Bible might say, hey, a lot of scholars are not sure that John actually wrote this story. But the story was told about Jesus over and over, and it was written down. And the early church leaders said, we've got to put this story in the proper place, and they dropped it right here. Why did they drop it right here? Maybe it's because the Holy Spirit wanted to tell us the kind of light that Jesus brings to us. Because this... This illumination of the temple, this representation of, of God who leads his people out of captivity, this illumination of the temple takes place. The next day the story happens and then Jesus stands up and says, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Think about what's happening here. Jesus saying, I'm the pillar of light. I'm the light of the world. You don't need these symbols here anymore. You don't need these great candles anymore. I'm it. I'm the light. You want to party? Party because of me. Because light followed gives life. It will take you to the promised land. I will take you to the promised land. Well, this is very significant. Let me give you two big ideas today about the light of Christ. First, light reveals without condemning. Light reveals without condemning. A lot of people steer clear of the light of Christ because they think, you know, Jesus is like my mom or dad or my teacher or my coach because whenever I made a mistake... They pointed a bony finger at me and told me about it. They let me know in no uncertain terms I was wrong, I messed up. And I just want to say, don't attribute to Jesus the traits of a bad leader that hurt you in the past. He's not like that. He'll reveal the wrong without condemning you. I mean, think of what he said to the adulterous woman in John chapter 8, verse 11. Neither do I condemn you, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. No matter how dark your life, no matter what you've been caught red-handed doing, that's bad, that's wrong, that's sinful, that's hurtful, you got to know Jesus is saying, 
Neither do I condemn you. John 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. It's really a good thing when we come to the light because we can see what needs to be fixed. I remember a few years ago sitting in front of a makeup mirror. Guys, you know what those are? Those are the mirrors with the lights all the way around that just shows a girl, a woman, like every single flaw. Never again will I look at myself in a makeup <laughs> mirror. Yikes. That's scary. Reminds me of a story that mom, my mom tells. My mom's from the sticks of Tennessee. And back where I grew up, the big controversy was, should women wear makeup? Because if you're holy, you won't wear makeup. And my mom used to say, well, if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> you sit in front of that makeup mirror and you go, something needs to be fixed here. And if you go to the light box, <laughs> to the makeup mirror, you're going to see some things that need to be fixed. But that's a good thing, isn't it? Because if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> Jesus is saying, follow me into the light. I will show you your flaws, but I will show your flaws in such a way that you won't feel condemned. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, how does that happen? Because we deserve to be condemned. Here's how it happens. When Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins, he was condemned so that we wouldn't have to be. I can live in the light because he experienced the darkness that I should have experienced. I'm forgiven because he was forsaken. I'm accepted because he was condemned. That's the kind of light that Jesus is. Why would you stay away from that kind of light? If you're here today and you kind of want to keep Jesus at arm's length, it's like, I want just, you know, give me, give me just, just $2 worth of God. That's all I need, just to keep me going a little bit. Fill up the tank. Come close to Christ. Because His light will reveal without condemning. Second thing about this light, it restores without condoning. The light of Christ restores without condoning. Because you know what He says here in John 8, 11? He says to the woman, go and sin no more. He calls the adultery sin. He dares to say, something you're doing doesn't line up here with this book. It is sin. He doesn't go, oh, it's okay. It's no big deal. No, it's sin and it's not okay. It breaks the heart of God. It hurts people around this woman. And it's hurting the woman herself. What he does is forgive he heals her relationship with God. He restores her. See, the light of God restores because light, think about it, gives life. John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light and life interwoven. You can't have life without light. Before God created life on the planet, he says, let there be light. And when the light appeared, then the seas began to swarm with life. 
Life on this planet depends on sunlight. Without sunlight, our world is dead. There is no life without light in the physical world, and the same is true in the spiritual world. Life and light went out of the human race when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. But when we come to Christ, then we come to the light, and that's when spiritual life begins. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. It's a prophecy about Jesus. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, the Son, S-U-N, of Righteousness, that's the light of Christ, shall rise with healing in His wings. This kind of light heals. doesn't hurt. I mean, light heals. Think laser surgery. Think cauterizing wounds. Think uh, the light box that you sit in front of to heal seasonal affective disorder. You know what that is? SAD, seasonal affective disorder. This is what people have in Northeast Ohio because we don't see the sun that much, right? From like November to March or April. (laughs) And people buy light boxes actually to sit in front of for 30 minutes a day who have seasonal affective disorder because it affects mood, it creates depression and all that kind of stuff. There's something energizing about light. It affects our bodies. It affects our souls. See, some of us don't have seasonal affective disorder. we got spiritual affective disorder. And some of you here, you've been followers of Christ for a long, long time, but the joy's gone. You're in a spiritual depression. You hate it. Your, Your life isn't nearly as attractive as it once was. The people around you are noticing that you've lost something. It's spiritual affective disorder. You're not spending enough time in the light of his presence. You say, well, how do I spend time in front of the... What's a spiritual light box? How do I spend time in the light of his presence? Well, you know, Jesus is the living word of God. The Bible is the written word of God. Jesus is the living light of the world. The Bible is the written light of the world. So so the way you spend time in the light of the Lord is by spending time in the Scriptures. Because it's the light of Christ. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Light reveals without condemning. It restores without condoning. Hey, listen, if they've caught you in the dark somewhere and brought you to Christ, what would really be exposed for you? Because some of us, we're pretty good at talking trash about friends. Some of us are pretty good at unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. Maybe for you, it's cheating at school or cutting corners at work. Maybe trying to fill up the hole in your life with shopping or drinking or eating Maybe you're dealing with lust or greed or materialism. Maybe if you came to the light of Christ, pornography or homosexuality or anger would be exposed. Let me ask you, what do you think Jesus would say to you if if you came into his presence with that thing that's dark in your life? What would he say to you if you're here today and you're living together before marriage, having sex before marriage? Would he say, well, you know, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
I believe he would. He would reveal without condemning and restore without condoning. See, Jesus knows best. Even secular studies say cohabitation, living together before you're married, it doesn't work the way people think. More abuse happens, more distrust is built, and more disloyalty occurs when people cohabit than when they do it God's way. Get married, then have sex. You might not be able to restore your virginity, but you can restore your chastity. So come to Jesus. He doesn't condemn, but he says go and sin no more. I believe we've got to respond in two ways to this kind of light. First, we've got to receive his light. So where are you, in the light or in the dark? Because some of us, we've been stumbling around and falling a lot. Living apart from Christ is why many of us have been stumbling around. We're not in his light. And you know what? If you want to stay away from his light, that's okay. But ultimately, you will end up in total darkness, away from God forever and ever in hell. See, God says, you don't want my light for your life? You want to live apart from me? Okay, I'll give you what you want. No light forever. Outer darkness, which is one of the descriptions of hell. Outer darkness. That's what hell is. No Jesus, no light. But light has come to shine in darkness. And so for many in this room here, it is decision time. So you can be kind of attracted to the light, but not really get in it. You can walk around the light, you can flirt with the light, you can applaud the light, but still not follow the light. John chapter 3, verse 19, The light is coming to the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. The woman we read about today, she stepped out of the darkness into the light. And she found out that yes, the light of Christ reveals and then restores Again, John 3, verse 21, The light is coming to the world. People love darkness rather than light. Their works were evil. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. Come into the light. Now that woman did, and she got it. Forgiveness and hope and joy and life. And you can have that too. So what's dark in your life? Maybe you're feeling like, man, my sin's too big. My, my sin's too great. My sin's too awful. My sin's too unpardonable. It is not. Come to the light. So receive his light. Second, reflect his light. And I, I read some of what you guys put on Facebook. And I'm going, you're not reflecting the light of Christ. A lot, a lot of us are really good at, if you're on the right, you want to condemn the left. And if you're on the left, you want to condemn the right. That's, that's not the Jesus way. And how effective are those posts anyway? It's changing somebody's mind. See, when you receive the light, then you can become the light to the world around you. You don't have light in yourself, but you can reflect the light, just like the moon reflects the light of the sun. No condemning, no condoning. Remember those stories at the beginning? One teacher condoned the sin. Go and tell the governor, I just saved the life of his mistress. Go and keep on sinning. He condoned the sin. The other teacher condemned the sin. Where would righteousness be if I didn't make her pay? 
Only one teacher has shown us how to reveal and restore without condoning and condemning. He dared to preserve a holy standard while pardoning an unholy sinner. And he expects the same from us. And I have to say, I've been looking at my life in the last week or two going, where do I do this well? I'm not so sure I'm good at it. Because I vacillate between condoning, it's not that bad, and condemning. How dare you? I don't think I'm alone in that. We're not good at this. Or we just live in the middle where we just turn and look away. We don't care. Only one person dared to preserve a holy standard while saving an unholy sinner. He expects the same from us. And you know what? Maybe, just maybe, that's why we killed him. Because he's asking us to live a way that we don't want to live. But he only stayed in the dark three days, right? <laughs> Darkness could not dim the light of the world. He rose from the dead. He's still the light of the world. So reveal and restore without condemning or condoning. It's exceedingly difficult. In our self-righteousness, we can be condemners. In our self-centeredness, we can be condoners. We are talking about this in our creative meeting, and Pastor Chad said, think bowling. <laughs> One gutter's condemning. The other butter, the other butter. The other gutter is condoning. Keep the ball. In the middle of the lane. <laughs> That's the third way. People want us to condone. They expect us to condemn. What if we gave them something different? What if we gave them something unexpected? What if we gave them the third way, the higher way, the Jesus way? I, I don't know. What do you call it? You call it the way of love? Do you call it speaking the truth in love? Do you call it full of grace and truth, restoration, caring, confrontation. You call it the Jesus way. The idea is like, yeah, sin is sin. Josh Stone told us, you can't understand the yes of God without also understanding the no of God. He says no about things. Because he loves us. He loves us just like we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay like we are. And I hope you love people the way they are, but I hope you love them too much to let them stay like they are. Because nobody in this room is enough like Jesus yet. I'm not good at it. Either I'm too timid or too certain. Either I'm too soft or too harsh. Either I'm too quiet or too loud. So, so I wonder what would happen this week if you just uh, got with your family and you said, um, or maybe your life group or some huddle or some close friends, and you said, do you see anywhere in my life where I'm condemning or condoning? Where I'm too condemning or I'm too condoning? Do you see anything in my life like that? What if we had the, the guts to have that kind of conversation with people that know us well? Ask your kids. Ask your spouse. And see what happens. Come into the light. And this is really hard, but we know somebody who's not 
too timid or too certain, too soft or too harsh, and that is Jesus. He is perfect. He's pure in every way. So the safest, bestest route is to get people to Jesus and let him deal with their sin one-on-one. I mean, you know, I don't have to correct everybody, right? I just need to get people to Jesus and let him worry on the, about the corrections. So maybe you're here today and you're like going, wow, I, I don't think I really know this Jesus that you're talking about. The, the Jesus that, that I know is the one who points a bony finger at my face and says, how dare you, don't you dare do that again. You need to come to the real Christ. In your, in your program on the screen, is, there's a prayer. No magic prayer. But maybe for you today, this is your prayer. You can read it here, response card. Read it on the screen. And if this is your prayer, tear it off. Put it in the offering basket. Let us know that you prayed. Lord, there have been many times when we've been the people that judge others. Our hands have been filled with stones condemning others. But shine your light on us to reveal our sin. Show us we are the sinners. See, I'm the woman caught in adultery. We are the ones who deserve to be stoned, but thank you that you died on the cross to forgive us, shine your light on us, to restore us, to heal us, to give us life. Help us to be more like you, Jesus, full of grace and truth. If you've never prayed a prayer like this before, pray it, let us know. We'd love to help you grow to know Jesus better. Lord, I thank you that we have a Savior that loves us just like we are, but loves us too much to let us stay like we are. Thank you that you are the one who reveals without condemning and restores without condoning. And I pray that we would receive that light and reflect that light to the world so that we could be people who are like Jesus Christ. And we know that not everybody is going to respond well to this. Some people love the darkness more than the light. And our Lord Himself was put on a cross because of the kind of light He was. But let us be willing to carry our own cross for you because there are some out there like this woman who will respond. So help us, Lord. Be like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, you're the light of the world. And thank you that you let us reflect your light to the world. Make it so. In Jesus' name, amen.